years ago, Hannah, my daughter, was three and a half years old and one day we went shopping. It was before I started at Warunga Church at the Erina Shopping Centre. Have you been there, some of you? This is 15, 16 years ago. Uh, while we were there, I was there with her mum and her grandmother. And while we were there, I was given the job because the mum and grandma were shopping for clothes, I was given the job to watch Hannah. I don't know what happened. I certainly didn't turn away for long, maybe, I reckon, five seconds, and she was gone. Now, there's not a lot that scares me in life, and she had been fooling around in the change uh, Rooms, and I thought she's just gone into a change room. So, uh, and the reason I knew she was gone was because her mum said, "Oh, where's Hannah?" And I said, "Oh, she's just up." Oh, now my heart did miss a beat, but I went looking for her, and I thought, "Was well, for sure she's in the change rooms." When I went to the change rooms and she wasn't there, my heart really started to beat, and I started. There was panic, onset of panic, and I started to get worried. And I said to her grandmother, "Have you seen Hannah?" Oh, she, she was just there, she said. So I frantically began to run, and they were looking at dresses, and, you know, they put dresses on those round things. I don't know what they call them, and, you know, you can't see in the place. For any reason, I don't like shopping. This was a trauma, let me tell you. And I'm running between these, looking for Hannah. I couldn't find her. Within a minute, I was in full-blown panic. And it's amazing what you'll do when you've got a child who's missing and you can't find them. And my heart was hammering, I was sweating, and I was running through that store, yelling at the top of my voice. Now people tell me I've got a big mouth. I think the whole shop heard it. Hannah! 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 And this went on for about five minutes. I could not find her anywhere. You know, I started to talk to the Lord. I love the Lord for this because he comes to us in times of crisis. And this was a full-blown crisis for me. Her mum was running throughout the store. Her grandmother was just crying. Ears everywhere. Uh, I better be careful because she might watch this, but I don't think she was much good in the search, actually. <laughs> I'm running throughout the store. The Lord came upon me. He calmed me. He said, step by step, go through in a routine way throughout this shop and let's see whether we can find her. And so I calmed down. I began to look for it. You know, she was missing 30 minutes. I'm, I'm telling you, this was one of the worst days of my life. And I'll never forget when I made it to the end of the shopping centre, I had been through every shop. I had been into every department store. I had gone to security. They wouldn't put it across announcement across the shopping centre because they're afraid of, of the welfare of little children. But the security was looking. Uh, the mum, mother was looking. Uh, the grandmother was still crying. <laughs> And, I came, and I'd gone through two or three times through the entire shopping centre, half an hour, 40 minutes. And I was starting to hyperventilate. This was a very... I've never been so scared. And in through the front door walked an angel. It wasn't Hannah. I can't even remember what she looks like. But she was a lady, and in her arms, she had Hannah. Hannah had followed some teenagers out through the door and they were taking her across the car park into some bush over the road and this mother saw it and she thought this doesn't look right and she said is that little girl 
meant to be with you. And they pushed her away and said, no. And she picked her up, brought her back into the shopping centre, and I found my lost girl. I have never... I'm a bit traumatised just telling that story, you know that? And so I know what it's like, and I realise how the father must have felt when the prodigal son came home. I understand it. I understand what it's like as a father to lose a child. And it must be devastating to lose a child while here on this earth in death, when you know you can't get them back. And this father had lost his son. His young son had come to him and asked for the inheritance. You know the story. He had given him his inheritance. He'd gone into the city. He had wasted it on partying. He'd spent all his money and he'd ended up a Jewish boy in a pig pen feeding pigs. And as in that pig pen, he decides that he will go home. And so he gets up. He would have stunk of pig. He would have stunk of rotten food. He was dirty. He was filthy. But he was the son of a wealthy landowner. And he thought to himself, I'll go home. Better I be a slave than live this life. And you know the story how he walks down the road and his father sees him from afar. And he rushes to him. And he embraces him. And he welcomes him home. Now this is where I want to take you. Because this story is yours and my story. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. You've got the father. He's experiencing what I did with Hannah. He's in relief. He's, he's so happy. His son has come back, come home. And this is what the story says. We're starting it in verse 20. So the boy returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. You kind of get in the scene here. He's come home. He's presenting himself to his father. I want you to get the scene. That, I want you to get the picture. This guy, this young man, is filthy. He smells. Now, look, when I go out to the farm and work on a Sunday by myself, I love it out there, you know, get in the dirt. Well, don't roll on the dirt, but you get in the dirt. You're on the tractor. You're fixing fences. It's, this is a great adventure for me when I go out there. When I come home, I walk in the door. I don't get a welcome from Lizzie like this father gave his son. Because you know what she says to me? Go and get in the shower. And I'll go to hug her on purpose, you know. And she goes, get away from me. Get away from me. You stink. <laughs> now, is that the truth, Liska? She won't touch me. When I've been to the farm, I've been working. She's fastidious on cleanliness, which has been a bit of a shock for me as a bachelor boy to move in, actually. The father embraces the boy. He is glad to see him. He loves him. He's got compassion on him. He doesn't tell him, you stink, go and have a shower. Perhaps you could learn from this lesson, actually, this guy. <laughs> He's glad the son's home. The boy is in misery, abject misery. He's really ruined his life. Everything he's done has not worked out. He's ended up in a pig pen doing the very thing that Jews should never do. 
And here he is in front of his father. I'll be a servant. I'll be a slave. Anything, father. Just let me back. And here's the gospel now in a nutshell. But his father said to the servants, verse 22, Quick, we need to study this over and over. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. Now I want you to look at what the father got the boy. He got him a robe. He got him a ring. And he got him sandals. Now, let's look at what that means in the ancient culture that Jesus told this beautiful story parable in. The robe. Well, he came home dressed like a pig, squalid farmer. A slave, really. He stunk. We've we've overemphasized that today. He was filthy. The father says, go to my wardrobe. Get the most expensive robe in the house. And he put it on his son, and his son was now dressed in the manner, the same manner as a landowner. He is now again dressed as the son of this man. He's not a slave. He's not a servant. He's in expensive clothes. He's in fine clothes. He's in designer clothes. And people know he belongs to that family now by his dress. Now, I'm a Queenslander. We have a certain style of dress up there. Do you know what it is? Relax, Relax, someone said. Shorts and a a T-shirt. So it's freezing cold last night, and we're here for a practice here in the church for the music and the worship today. And and what do you think I was dressed in? Shorts and a T-shirt and thongs. Yes, thank you, I had my thongs on. And someone looked at me and said, you must be a... Queenslander, because only a Queenslander would be silly enough to dress like this on a cold night like this. You look at the son, he's come home, he's got the robe on. If you looked at him, you would say, oh, you must be the son of the landowner. You must be the son of this wealthy farmer, just by the robe he had on. But he gave him sandals. Now, in Jewish culture, the removal of one's sandals represents a loss of dignity. This guy's in bare feet. He's got no shoes. And the father says, get the sandals, the brand new ones. Get them out of the wardrobe, the ones that I was going to use, and give them to my son. And when the father gave him back his sandals, he gave him back his dignity. And more than that, he said, I've given you something that you can now walk in as my son. But it didn't end there. And this is probably one of the most amazing aspects of the story. He gave him a ring. The boy had spent his inheritance But when the father gave him the ring, the father gave him his inheritance back. Do you get that? We often miss that. He gave him his inheritance back. Now, what has this got to do with the gospel? Watch this, and then I'm going to bring it right home to Adventism. Not only does this story mean something about the gospel, it is the gospel. The robe. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 64, verse 6. This is really important. And this is a little bit of revision. 
We are all infected and impure with sin. Now I want you to see this one particular line. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but what? Filthy rags. You remember when we did this? Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Who inspires us to our righteous deeds? Ourselves or who? Now, let's look at it again. We're all infected and pure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are what? But filthy rags. I'm Australian. Liska's Indonesian. She eats rice. I eat potato and pumpkin and peas and corn and savoury with gravy. So when I came home yesterday from a hard workout in the pool, Liska asked me what would I like to eat. I said, not rice. (laughs) I would like potato and pumpkin and peas and corn. Please make me a savoury with gravy. That's an Australian meal. Would you believe it? For the second day in a row, for the first time since we've been married, she did it! Now, is that a righteous deed? (laughs) Well, I think so. (laughs) Will that good deed get it to heaven? Well, it would if I was God, (laughs) because I'd get it cooked for me for eternity. (laughs) No. When When you go and visit someone in hospital, is that a righteous deed? Is it inspired by God? Will it get you to heaven? When you come to Sabbath school on time, is that a righteous deed? When you pay your tithe and your offerings, is that a righteous deed? When you're good to the neighbour next door and you invite them to church, is that a righteous deed? Will it get you to heaven? Because when God looks at our righteous deed, he li- and I'm reminding you, this is, re- this is revision, but when God looks at our righteous deeds, I want you to understand this and get it. No matter how good your righteous deeds are, no matter who you are, you can be Mother Teresa. Your righteous deeds, no matter how you try, cannot get you to heaven. Now, did you hear that? No matter how you try, they're not going to get you to heaven. You can spend your life doing righteous deeds. It won't get you to heaven. We need to get that message. If you're going to rely on your works to get you to heaven, you're lost. Now, turn with me just a few chapters, Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. This is the robe that the Father gave the Son and it's the robe that today Jesus is offering you. I delight greatly in the Lord, says the prophet. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That robe... In this story that Jesus told, which has so much power, power to change lives and to save, 
one of the most important parables and stories he told in all of Scripture. That robe represents the righteousness, the good deeds, the character of Christ. Do you understand that? And when you come to Christ, please, New Hope Church, hear this. If I had one message, this is what I'd preach. If I was going to die tomorrow, God forbid, but if I was, this would be the message I'd preach. When you come to Jesus, when you say, Lord, I am a sinner, I've been in the pig pen, I've been away from you, I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm bruised and I'm broken. Jesus puts his arms around you and he gives you, he gives you, he gifts you his robe of his righteousness. It's not yours. Do you understand that? It's not yours. It's his. It's not yours. I'd like to just keep saying that. It's not yours. It's his and he gifts it to you. And when he puts that robe around you, over all the stench. Did the boy go and have a shower? Did he have a bath? There's no, no sign of it in, in, in the story. What did the father do? Oh, go and get a bath, man. You stink. Then come back and I'll put the... Did he do that? Understand this part of the story. Jesus put the robe around the boy. What? The father... Put the robe around the boy while he still stunk. And Jesus puts the robe around you while you still stink. Can I hear an amen? amen. While you still sink, stink. While you're still caught in your sins. While you're still down in, in, in the dirt and the grime of the pig pen. Stuck in the pit. You can't get out of it. Jesus sees you. He hears your call. You just whisper a call to him. He's there instantly. And he puts that robe around you. And when everyone looks at you, and most importantly, when God looks at you, he sees who? Jesus, his perfection, his character. The moment Jesus, Jesus does that to you, you are ready for translation to heaven. Amen? Amen. Do I need to say that again? The moment Jesus does that, you are ready for translation to heaven. It's called justification. That's what prepares you for heaven. That alone is what the Protestant Reformation's built on. It's what Adventism's built on. And there's a full stop after justification. How do I get to heaven? If someone asks you that, just say, justification, full stop. Don't say anything after it. Don't say justification and that. No, no, justification, full stop. When I walk into heaven through the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ alone, I do it through justification. I do it because he put a robe around me. There's nothing else. There's nothing more. There can't be. It's salvation. Do you get that? Yeah. Now, the, the, the Adventist church needs to hear this message for a reason. But it doesn't stop there, this story. Once he's got the robe on, he gives him a ring. And he gives him sandals. First John chapter 2, verse 6. This is the sandals. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Walk as Jesus walked. 
Do the things Jesus did. Respect, honour and do the law as Jesus always did in his life. Do his works. Do his good deeds. This is called sanctification. And what happens is the moment that you call the Lord and he puts that robe around you, you are saved. Then he sends the Holy Spirit into you and he begins to clean you out. And he's got time to do it because what have you got around you? The robe of what? Of Christ's righteousness, which has already saved you. And the work of the Holy Spirit as he takes you from sinful flesh to sinless. And he will take you there. Does not save you. It's just evidence that you've already been saved. In fact, the, the Holy Spirit can't come in unless you have been justified. He can't begin the work of sanctification until you are justified. Do you understand that? So I'm not here today saying good works don't matter. Of course they do. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, I think it is verse 31. When we receive this experience, do we do away with the law? He says, no, God forbid we lift it up. But the law doesn't save you. And Jesus gives you a pair of sandals. He says, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I'm going to lift you and I'm going to carry you and I'm going to walk by you. And you can, through the grace of me, not only be saved, but now you can begin to walk as I did. And step by step, the Holy Spirit begins to clean you out. It's one of the most beautiful experiences you'll ever have. But it doesn't save you because what saves you? What saves you? Justification. Sanctification is the result, the fruit of justification. But it does not save you. And don't you ever dare look at your works, your righteous works inspired by God and say, they're going to have a part in my salvation. Because they don't. They're just evidence that you're already saved. And the ring, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We, and I think we can take this promise today, we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. It's called glorification. The ring represents the inheritance and your inheritance is eternity. Amen. And when you come to Jesus, he puts on that robe, he justifies you. He gives you sandals and you begin to walk with him, he sanctifies you. And then one day when Jesus comes, he'll finish the walk, he'll change you instantly and you'll be glorified and he will have taken you from sinful flesh to sinless. Do you get it? Okay, I'm going to show you just very quickly. I just This is representative of... Justification. The moment I am justified, I am what? Saved. And am I ready for translation into heaven? Yes. Yes. So if I was to get run over or something awful happened and I died, would I be going to heaven? Yes. Yes. And from the fall of man, from Adam and Eve until Jesus returns, that's the way you're saved. Stay there. Because now we've got sanctification. And this is when the... (laughs) 
you could do with a bit of sanctification, actually. <laughs> and don't put your hand up in the air, son. <laughs> I love him. I love him. And he loves me, don't you? <laughs> you can sit down. <laughs> you haven't been sanctified. <laughs> when I've been justified, then the Holy Spirit comes inside me and I begin to be... How long does that take? It's a lifetime. I, I used to tell the church at Warunga all the time. They probably got sick of the story. That's all right. By the way, someone said I said Warunga and said a new hope last week. Is that right? Why do you have to all remember that? <laughs> I'll make that mistake. But you know, I was a long time at Warunga. My grandmother, 101 years old. No, just before she turned 101. She died just before she turned 101. A couple of weeks before she died, I actually went to see her. Now this girl, my grandmother, got baptised when she was eight years old. She never turned her back on Jesus. She always walked with him. She's a pastor's wife. She's a pastor's mother and she's a pastor's grandmother. She is a saint in Israel. Well, I thought she was anyway. I've never seen her do a sin, never seen her tell a lie, never seen her lose a temper. The most moderate, well, except for you, sweetheart, beautiful woman I ever met. Liska's like that too. Uh, she's just an amazing woman. She's just months, weeks from death. And I said to Grandma, is Jesus still... Well, she was, she was justified when she was what? Is that a daily experience? Yeah, yeah, it's a daily experience. You ask the Lord, you give your heart to him. The justification keeps going and going. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I said, have you reached a stage where the Lord's finished with you? She said, no. I said, Grandma, what could be wrong with you? And she said, don't you worry about it. The Lord's still working on me. And she was almost 101 years of age. And then, one more, Lizzie. There's... What's the last one? Glorification. When Jesus comes. Now, now, where are you when Jesus comes on the road to sanctification? I don't know. You'll be someone different than I am. Because we're all at different levels, but we're all saved because we're what? Justified. And then the moment we start uh, give our hearts to Jesus, we become... We start the walk of sanctification. We don't know where we are when Jesus comes. Some of us are, dare I use the word, more sinless perhaps than others. But then Jesus finishes it. And what does he do? He glorifies us. So Jesus has taken me from over here. Look how I walk. This is the road I walk. He's taken me from sinful flesh through justification. What am I now? Am I perfect in God's eyes? Am I perfect? Though in... Am I sinless? No. And that's why he then sends the Holy Spirit and he begins to work on me. And by the way, overcoming is one of the most beautiful experiences a Christian can have. It's so important. That's why I've already preached about it here. You're not overcoming. There's something wrong back here and you need to go back to justification and have a conversion. And if you're struggling with it, you need to come and talk to me or Claire or someone and we're going to help you. Overcoming doesn't 
save you, but it's proof that you're on the road. It's an evidence. It's a fruit. Now, when Jesus comes, so I'm walking through sanctification with my robe on, so I'm saved. I've got my ring on, so I've got the promise of inheritance, but then the promise comes true and I am what? What's the last thing Jesus does? Glorifies me. And, and then I've gone from sinful flesh through to sinless flesh. And Jesus did the whole thing. Do you get it?